Welcome to The Five, a podcast built to inform nonprofits about critical functions that will improve their organization. I'm your host, Eric Morcheski, CEO and co-founder of Nimble Strategies. We are bringing The Five to you as a part of our company's five-year anniversary celebration with thought leaders from across the country. Welcome to The Five. Hi, we're here today with Kyle Ogden, President and CEO of the Thanksgiving Foundation, here to talk today about gratitude something that is so important and impactful, whether you're talking about for your organization or whether you're talking about how you live your life. Gratitude should be a key facet of everything you do. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell people a little bit about your own personal background here? Great, Eric. Thanks for having me. And and yeah, I'm President CEO of the Thanksgiving Foundation. Thanksgiving Foundation owns and operates Thanksgiving Square, and then we have programs as well. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, I've been at this about uh, six years now. And before that, I was a business guy. I ran our family business. Uh, we had a manufacturing business and and with three plants, uh, one in Dallas and one on each of the coasts. And I like to say I'm a five million mile American Airlines guy. I was I lived the first part of my life, you know, doing the things that all of us do to try to feed our families and build a career. And we sold that business and I retired. And had a couple of buddies that were on the board here at Thanksgiving Square that recruited me to do something of a turnaround, really. Thanksgiving Foundation was founded in 1964. The square was actually completed in 77. So, you know, it's been around a while and ebbed and flowed and good times and bad times and and was kind of at a low point a little bit in the uh, early 2018 when I got here and a little bit rudderless. So that's kind of how I got here. You know, I, I had a successful business career, retired, decided that it that I didn't want to play golf or sit on the couch and uh, was induced off of the couch the, by my buddies to come and do this thing. And I like to think a little bit about the contrast between the first part of my life, which was on an airplane, the second part of my life, which is at City Hall, you know, and with the, here in the community. And, you know, I was flying over the community before and now I'm in the community, but I didn't start with all those relationships. And it's been fun for me and a challenge for me to, you know, build the relationship with the mayor and the city manager and the council people and the influencers in town and all. It's been, it's been an interesting challenge for me. And Something that I've enjoyed and, I've, and I like it. The other thing I like to say is really it's uh, very similar to running a business. You're kind of finding problems and solving them and, and making sure you got the right people in the right place and so on and so forth. It's just a different way of keeping score. You're not counting dollars. You're figuring out what you're doing positively in the community. And that's a that's more fun, really, if you get the privilege to do that, which I'm privileged to do. It's kind of the second mountain kind of part of the life where you can focus on those things if you have that luxury is a nice thing. Yeah, it is measured differently, although those dollars help with making that impact. For <laughs> yeah, sure. you still get, you know, instead of selling, you got fundraising, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, there certainly is is an element of stress and making sure you make ends meet and those kind of things. We haven't been right on the edge, so that's a nice thing for us. But, you know, I think in my business career, you know, I feel the same way now at the nonprofit as I did in my business career. I never really wanted to sell. What I wanted to do is I wanted to differentiate a product that people wanted to have. And that's what I want to do here. I want to have a differentiated, I, I want to make a contribution to the community that people want to be a part of. And, you know, I don't, I don't like the idea of calling in favors from friends and, you know, leveraging relationships and that kind of stuff. That's just intuitively not interesting to me. I've concentrated mostly on building the best product and 
I'm counting on that being kind of the engine for a successful fundraising. So let's talk a little bit about that product you're uh, building. So you mentioned that Thanksgiving Foundation was started in 1964, so 60 years old. They've got our our company beat by 55 of those. Uh, <laughs> not that anyone's keeping score, but <laughs> tell us a little bit then about what Thanksgiving Foundation does, a little bit about Thanksgiving Square and what it means to the downtown Dallas community. Yeah. Well, first, let's start with a little context. It's 1964. In November of 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, right? And so that's kind of the, the mood of the time. And Whereas I don't think that I, I don't have anything in my, in the records that say that happened. Let's do this thing. There has to be some association, at least in some people's mind, that what they were doing when they built Thanksgiving Square was trying to build a counterbalance to the image of the city at the time. You know, the the people of Dallas are are great. Eric, you've been here. You know, you know that anybody born that's, there, <laughs> yeah, right? And and. Uh, Anybody that moves here won't move move anywhere else, right? They 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 love this place, and you know, so the people are great. And there was this; it was a real disconnect to have that image, really. I think, and uh, with w- really what the spirit of the people of Dallas was. And so, you know, not certainly not on the forefront of civil rights or any of that kind of stuff, which is a little disappointing at the time. But a group of people, actually four business guys, came together and founded the foundation and bought a city block in the middle of downtown Dallas. And I mean, in the middle of downtown Dallas. I mean, we're talking about if you threw a dart at downtown Dallas and you hit a bullseye, you'd hit Thanksgiving Square. And the idea was to uh, build a monument to gratitude. I I do see in the paperwork, uh, the promotional literature from the day where they compared Thanksgiving Square to gratitude as the Statue of Liberty to freedom. And I'm convinced that they thought they were building the Statue of Liberty in downtown Dallas. I think they they saw it as that important and as that fundamental to to Dallas, uh, symbolic of Dallas. And every prominent family in town and every important company that was headquartered here was a part of building Thanksgiving Square. Uh, and it was a monumental task. And you know they went out and hired the the best architect of the day. One of the fun things, Eric, that I found when I started here was I went down and was going through some files, and I see architects interviewed, and there's Frank Lloyd Wright, and there's I.M. Pei, and there's uh, Philip Johnson, and there's you know on and on and on, and folders for each of those guys where they've where they had conversations about uh, engaging on this thing, and so they picked Philip Johnson, and you know spent a bunch of time, money, and effort building a coalition of, like I said, the most important families in the town and the most uh, important businesses in town and decided that, you know, they needed to build a first class institution around gratitude, really. And there was a a kind of a strong historical kind of connection to the Thanksgiving and a few stories like that around that were part of who we were back in the day. And so, you know, that's kind of the first, what, 35, uh, 40 years of our existence was kind of that was who we were we did some things in the community we did and still do host a national day of prayer luncheon we had a big uh i think really from day one significant role in interfaith conversation we had a chapel committee back in the day and now it's called the interfaith council that still exists where there's work on knowing and understanding and appreciating the differences in the religious community and we have like i said we have a a non-denominational chapel here on the property. So I would say as I found it six years ago, you know, that was kind of the only thing we were doing particularly well was the the interfaith work. 
And we had by that time had a clergy group called Faith Forward Dallas that was doing some good stuff as well. In fact, that group hosted when the police officers were shot here in Dallas years ago. I guess that was in 2015 or 2016. The memorial was held here and hosted by the clergy group. So, you know, it it's always had, even despite its highs and lows, it's, it's always had some significance as a gathering place and as a convener for at least you know, places of celebration and places of, of remembrance and those kind of things. But yet, really, in spite of those things, when I got here, like say it was kind of at a low point, and it was my belief that I should kind of treat it like a white sheet of paper. I've said several times, you know, that they had the first 40 years trying it one way, and, you know, I wanted to try something else. And so, you know, we've pivoted more towards diversity of all flavors, not just religious diversity. We, we work in the area of racial and ethnic and uh, gender and uh, those types of diversities as well. Not trying to abandon the work in the religious arena, but trying to just build portfolio around that, try to keep that where it is, but try to use our new efforts towards just building out more of a diversity platform. And then, you know, trying to downplay the kind of the religious emphasis, if you will, that was kind of existed in the first 40 years. You know, the times are much different than they were 40 years ago, as you can imagine, as you well know. And so certainly that's one factor. And, and I'm a faithful guy, but we're we're about not promulgating our own faithful beliefs. We're about tolerance of everyone. And part of everyone is people with no faith and or people of spirituality. And so uh, we've tried to uh, be more inclusive along those lines as well. This is uh, something that really drew me to Thanksgiving Square and the Thanksgiving Foundation was this idea of gratitude and inclusion. And I think these kind of critical things that probably have been brought more to light over the last decade or two decades in our society than than more previously. Gratitude being really what we're talking about here today, a lot of, you know, why does gratitude mean something specifically to you? Why What drew you to personally to the Thanksgiving Foundation is that understanding of gratitude or Thanksgiving. Why did that draw you to the organization? Uh, interesting question. I'm going to answer it this way. You know, to me, you know, obviously there's tons of gratitude research that says, says that, you know, it's a key element in quality of life and that expressing gratitude, it does as much for the giver as the receiver. I mean, there's lots of good data around and just intuitively, you know, we all know how we, how uplifted we feel when we give or receive gratitude. So, I mean, it's easy intuitively to embrace. And I think particularly timely, there's a bit of a tailwind for gratitude. I mean, there's a, a bit of a, it's kind of enjoying its day in the sun of source. People understand and appreciate that more, I think, than they had previously. When I think about gratitude, I group us several uh, virtues together. When I talk about gratitude, I talk about gratitude and goodwill and mindfulness and intentionality. And those attributes to me of being present in the moment and being, uh, I've got a friend that says, you know, having a feeling that life is by you and not at you or, or directed to you, that you're, you have agency over your life is interesting to me and, and important to me. And, and again, I think in contrast to that career where I was, you know, chasing the next appointment and it's appealing to me to think about in terms of how quality of life is affected by just being present and grateful and and mindful of, you know, what 
what your gifts are and what your even the mundane, you know, but just being in the moment and being present. And that to me is, again, you asked about gratitude. That's that whole way of thinking is kind of bundled up for me in the way I apply it and the way I apply it to my life is really, you know, just trying to be, you know, more present, more aware of who I'm encountering, appreciating those moments, appreciating the people you know, I think I'm kinder than I was. I think I take more time with people. I think that I am more genuine with people. And I and I find it enhances my being as much as, if not more, than the people that I encounter. Yeah, that's a, I think a great point is that it, it you do have to be intentional about it, right? That it's it's not something that just happens naturally, and but it does have profound impact on yourself as much as it does on the others who, who are the recipients, perhaps, of that right. gratitude. Um, so with all that said, we're here to talk about the five things as a nonprofit leader, you should understand about gratitude. And I think you, you touched on some pieces in here that are critically important into intentionality and some of those other things. You, you have kind of five categories that you really look at when you're talking about gratitude uh, from the Thanksgiving Square, Thanksgiving Foundation. Can you walk us through what each of those are and, and what those mean uh, sure. To you and, and to the uh, the foundation, yeah. So I said, kind of, my approach was to find a clean sheet of paper and start over to a certain degree. You know, certainly embracing gratitude, embracing Thanksgiving Square, and all of the history and all the great things that went before. But to try to construct, you know, Eric, I've been looking for you know where exactly do we fit among the milieu of nonprofits in Dallas, and where's our place of you know, I mentioned earlier, our, we wanted to be distinctive and differentiated. And, uh, you know, one of the curses, I think, uh, that I've found in, in nonprofit or in philanthropy is redundancy, you know, and so trying to stay out of uh, places where other people are. And what I've become really interested in and what, what we've kind of turned our tack towards is positioning Thanksgiving Square as the kind of the centerpiece of Dallas's cultural life. And using that mantra of mindfulness and intentionality, kind of like, uh, you know, if I've, I've said this lots of times, you know, if if I was a business guy, which I used to be, and I wanted to uh, sell my new sneakers, right, you know, I'd make a plan, you know, and I'd go find the right distribution, I find the right manufacturing partner, I'd do whatever, you know, whatever the elements of that is. But if we want to be the kindest, most fair, equitable city in the country, we don't have a plan to do that. We just kind of muddle our way to that, unfortunately. And so what I talk about is, you know, let's have a mindful and purposeful approach to uh, civic culture. And can, and Thanksgiving Square is going to lead that. We're going to lead that intentionality towards a better civic culture, towards what I call a profoundly caring community. And so what I've tried to do is define, you know, what is a profoundly caring community and the five elements of that, conveniently five for your purposes, five elements of that is one is broad and inclusion, which means, you know, we got to look beyond just our family and friends. Uh, you know, we, we care a lot about the fate of our family and friends and maybe neighbors or whatever. But what I'm advocating for is let's care about the whole community. Broaden that that circle of care to include the whole community. You could say include the whole world. I don't know. I think that's too big to bite off. I don't think we can influence that, or at least not yet, but maybe we can influence it in the community. And so, and that's kind of the, kind of the city limits or the county line or whatever is kind of the way I think about 
uh, a profoundly caring community. And so uh, the first step of that is you got to care, right? That seems a little silly, right? But you got to care and you got to, you can't just care about you and you can't just care about you and your wife and your kids. And you can't just care about you and your wife and your kids and the guys at the country club. You got to care about the whole community, right? And so that's one is broad and inclusion. Sec second is connect with civility. We need to be in relationship with each other. We need to know each other. We, we need to build enough relationship and enough mutual respect and treat each other with enough dignity that we can transcend differences uh, with civility because we've got a real problem with that as a country right now is, it, you know, there's a us versus them and a win versus losing and zero sum game kind of mentality. And, a, and we have to get beyond that to win-win more of a, a we're all in, it, all in this together kind of a of an approach but a lot of that's just it's hard to hate somebody that you that you know much easier to hate somebody you don't know right so we need to be in a relationship with each other and we need to build those build enough infrastructure there in those relationships where we can have differences and still be in relationship and still care about each other still include them in that circle of care right the third thing is embrace differences I like to talk about, you know, we need a pluralistic society. Right now we've got, you know, there's a dominant culture and, well, maybe we'll have a blended culture or whatever. But really what we need to do is embrace the differences and ask everybody to express their individuality. They don't. We don't need to have people come and average into some sort of a an average culture of some sort. Uh, we can have little subcultures and we can, and then we can, Instead of seeing that as as uh, strange or ritualistic or whatever it might be, we could look at those things with respect and and uh, understanding and you know, incorporate that in in our community. So, pluralistic culture, I think, is something that uh, we need to fight for. Number four, champion social economic mobility. Uh, that's a big one. That what that says is that everybody in our community has a a genuine opportunity and a viable pathway to thrive and flourish. That's hard. So is Thanksgiving Square going to make everybody in the community thrive and flourish? Answers no. What I see our role as is creating the atmosphere or the environment for thriving and flourishing. In other words, if I can get the whole community pulling in the same direction, and and. By the way, I didn't say that everybody needs the same outcome. This is more about kicking obstacles out of the way than it is about, you know, removing systemic uh, challenges uh, that exist. And more about that than it is, you know, it's certainly not about handouts or about things such as that. We want to, you know, create a, what I call a tailwind for all the people working in the community already on the, on the direct services, you know, jobs, transportation, housing, childcare, et cetera, et cetera. What we want to do is eliminate the resistance to their success by creating a community all all working towards uh, everybody in the community having an, a fair shot at success. And then the fifth point is celebrate virtue and goodwill. First of all, you can't have a good community without having good people. And I think there is a real appetite for conversation about virtue and goodwill and about the want to, you know, the way that's kind of disappeared, not so much goodness, but the conversation about virtue and such is kind of not just something that we don't we don't teach in schools, we don't talk about in in our communities and all. And I think there's an appetite for that. And I'm, you know, I'm particularly I'm a little biased in that I'm I've got this kind of second mountain thing going on that's working for me that I like. And 
it's helping my well-being and helping my quality of life. And I'm, I want to share that. I think that there is a, you know, there's, there's some richness in life that people miss by not being, you know, attentive to those types of things as well. So there's my five, Eric. You mentioned earlier, 5 million miles on American Airlines. Obviously, the first answer that comes to this question is going to be Dallas, but the kindest, most gracious city that you've been to. Where have you seen in other communities, where have you seen some of these attributes coming out? I mean, I've been lots of places and, and, you know, never have really have had significantly negative experiences. But, you know, as far as communities that take care of themselves, you know, I would say once probably, let me crawfish on you here a little bit. You're probably familiar with Robert Putnam bowling alone and social and uh, the whole idea of social capital. And th- there was a time when communities were more like communities where you had bridge club and uh, bowling league and Kiwanis club and so on and so forth. I would say, you know, the communities that you know, still value those types of connections and such probably are ahead of, of those those cities that are, and I'd include Dallas in that, that are buttoned down and, you know, going to make the next buck or whatever it is that people are doing in the in the community. I mean, and I, I say these things, by the way, having been one of those people, you know, again, I spent my life doing what everybody else was doing, answering emails and uh, driving to soccer practice and or the soccer game and, you know, doing the things kind of uh, in a whatever was on my schedule is what I did as a, as opposed to you know being in, intentional about creating connections and relationships and those kind of things. But you know th- there's a lot of research around and a lot of evidence that really quality of life is about relationships. The quality and quantity of your relationships has everything to do with whether you think you're thriving in life. There's a big Harvard study where the big longitudinal study where they've studied, you know, a bunch of folks over a bunch of years, generations. And, you know, that's basically the conclusion is that uh, life well lived is primarily about relationships, less so about money, less so about all the other things. And, you know, Maslow would tell us that we got to have a few of those things, but our quality of life is going to be determined by how connected we are. A good way to think of it. So as we kind of then take that thought and think about connected communities how do you see us as a society improving that gratitude, that connected community nature moving forward in the future? Well, I, you know, again, it's hard to do at scale. In fact, let me make that comment. That's the one real frustration I've had as a nonprofit is, is that, you know, in, in our manufacturing business, if we got a new customer, if we wanted to increase output, we just bought a faster piece of equipment. You know, we just bought a packaging line that went faster, right? And so we could solve problems at scale pretty easily there. That's really hard to do in the nonprofit work because so much of it is, there's so many complexities and there so much of it is one-on-one just where it requires that kind of ground level connection, if you will. But one of the things that I, I like, I'm an advocate for trying to go back to the old fashioned block parties and trying to, you know, create, you know, one of the things that we think is in our future is, you know, trying to, especially in the, in the uh, marginalized communities, trying to go in and see what kind of social capital can be built there and what can be built there and 
acknowledging that really the, those communities may be the best connected of all, but you know, how can we use those, how can we build the connections and how can we use those connections to create spokesmen for the things that would create a better quality of life for them? You know, what can we do that would allow them to be better advocates for their own causes and uh, you know, better consumers of the things that are coming their way from the nonprofit communities and better, better able to utilize more efficiently some of the resources that maybe are going to them, but maybe are not getting, maybe are going to the, to the wrong types of resources or such. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, you don't solve these problems with a template. Uh, you solve them by creating conversation down at the community level. And I mean, the people that are living with problems got a much better idea what they need than what we do, you know, sitting downtown Dallas. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that we think that we need to do is create those conversations. Listen, you know, we need to listen. We've got an initiative where we're bringing together convening groups and just listening. One of the, my favorite things to, to do is just talk about what do we owe each other as a community? What does it mean to be in community? And what do we owe each other? And so we do some of that and we aggregate those conversations and, you know, we're trying to build a library of those conversations so that we can cross them over and see what it is that we're learning about these things. Mm -hmm. This is great. I uh, went through my head of, I mean, you really can't, gratitude isn't something that if you think of the tech world where you think of software as a service, there is no gratitude as a service um, that can scale easily. To me, this isn't, there isn't going to be, you know, a one size fits all, nor is there going to be a, you know, single solution to this, but it is going to come from those conversations and from meaningful relationships and not, it's not going to be resolved by someone sitting behind a keyboard. It's going to be resolved by intentional intentionally building relationships and intentionally building that goodwill and gratitude within the community. Um, so and we do, we do occasionally have an opportunity to, to actually express gratitude. Uh, mm -hmm. During COVID, we had donations from the community where, and we uh, bought meals for frontline workers, which was kind of magic for us. The community was very supportive of, of that donated over half a million dollars. And we bought 37,000 meals for, frontline workers, ICU, uh, emergency room, first responders, fire and rescue. We bought meals for folks in the testing, COVID testing sites and those kind of things. People that were really, while the rest of us were sitting at home trying to avoid getting sick, these people were out there fighting the battle. But the magic of that program, it was called Serving Up Gratitude, was that we were able to, you know, also the restaurant industry was killed by COVID as well. And so what we were able to do is take a donor's dollar and help a restaurant and then take the meal and express gratitude to a frontline worker. So that's, uh, that, that was very appealing to the community. And we did, we did a lot of that and, and we'll always kind of situation try to step into those kind of things where uh, we think there is a real direct gratitude kind of need or expression needed to be. That's, that's our, one of our roles. Uh, but you know, we think the this the, this other place of advocating for and trying to to work towards a profoundly caring community is is kind of where we belong. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave listeners with as they part ways and try to be a more gracious, you know, more profoundly caring community of their own? Yeah, 
as you can tell, I can kind of ramble on and on on this stuff. So I better draw the line at some point. But no, I've enjoyed chatting with you, Eric. You know, I I guess my message to the listener might be get engaged, go do something. You know, because there's there's as much for you in this as there is for the people that you help, and you you don't know that until you kind of dive into it. Um, it's a maybe simple but profound thought of I mean the first step to doing it is doing it right like <laughs> you, you know talking about or thinking about doing it isn't going to get you there you just need to get engaged and go so I think that's a, a great great way to leave people thank you so much Kyle for participating today we really appreciated it this has been great I think people really enjoy it good thanks Eric I've enjoyed it as well be well Thank you for listening to The Five. Subscribe to our channel and make sure you catch every episode of The Five and reach out to Nimble Strategies today for help with your nonprofit.